I'll have the privilege this morning of leading us in our reading of Scripture. And so if you would, I'd ask that you take out your copy of God's Word and then stand with me in honor of the reading of it. And I'm going to read for us our text today, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 23. This is what the Word of the Lord says for us. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. You may be seated. morning. Some of you know uh, that we are leaving on vacation right after the service. And so one question was, yes, thank you. One question was, does that mean we get a shorter sermon? And my answer was, I'm not really in a big hurry to get in the car with three kids. So um, this could be one of the longer ones. So... But uh, I want to begin by reiterating what Jim has said. Um, I, I'm incredibly encouraged by what I've seen this week in um, just in our church body and our church family. Uh, with the Melendez's flooding, our church just mobilizes on the spot like that and goes. And I'm just so thankful for you all that uh, the people who have provided meals, the people who have uh, gone over to the home and provided labor, who have uh, offered totes and blankets and, all, and fans and all these different things, uh, I, I'm just I'm so encouraged by our church family because that is what the body of Christ is supposed to be. Is that in the minute, in the moment when a, when a member is in need, we immobilize and get to work, uh, and that's what taking care of one another is. And so, thank you so much, church family, for doing that. Uh, it was a huge encouragement. Well, uh, we begin today, uh, continuing our series in First Corinthians chapter three, and uh, verses ten through twenty-three. And uh, I want to begin by asking you a question: Is that does any of you in here enjoy just beautiful architecture? Uh, I, I know some of you may uh, really enjoy it. There's actually architects and contractors and builders in, in our very midst, and, you know, Ben Jones and Tim and Mr. Lee, and so I think they like that a little bit. Um, but uh, most of us, we, we also like architecture. We like the beauty and the design and the details that go in there, and, 
God has gifted people like Mr. Lee and, and Ben Jones and, and being able to do those things. And, uh, but we as kind of, I guess, commoners uh, to architecture, we get to just enjoy the beauty of it, not even understanding what all goes into it. And so we, uh, you know, we, we see the beauty of places like the Taj Mahal or the Eiffel Tower or Buckingham Palace, and we're just enthralled at the design and the architecture and the beauty and the artwork that goes into that. It's amazing. It leaves us uh, astounded in a sense. But even more amazing, even more amazing than the Eiffel Tower, than Buckingham Palace and Taj Mahal is the edifice that God is building on Christ by his spirit through his servants. That is an even more amazing edifice that's being constructed by God. Is that he is building his very own temple, that being his church. And that what Paul is getting at in these verses 10 through 23 is that in light of the divisions that have been created that we've been talking about uh, over the course of two chapters now, is that in light of all these divisions and rivalries that have been created in the Corinthian church, is that Paul's reminding them that you, church in Corinth, are God's very temple that he is building upon the foundation of Christ crucified through his servants like Paul and Apollos and Cephas. And so this morning, what we're going to try and see in this text, verses 10 through 23, is this, is that the foundation of God's temple is Jesus Christ. And it's not human wisdom. And it's not even mere men like God's servants. Let's pray. God, this is your very word, and by your spirit working in us, illuminate our eyes, the eyes of our heart, to see the beauties and the glories of Jesus Christ. And that, God, the church is a beautiful, beautiful thing because it is a people who have been ransomed and redeemed by the blood of Christ and are now being built upon by your servants, founded upon the gospel. So this morning, let us all see that. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first point that we'll look at in verses 10 through 15 is this. The church is one foundation. The church is one foundation. And what we're going to see in the course of these verses is this. Is that God will inspect what the church is built upon and what the church is built with on Judgment Day. I'll say it one more time. God will inspect what the church is built upon and what the church is built with on Judgment Day. He will assess that work. You think about other beautiful pieces of architecture, like uh, the Tower of Pisa, and we all know what the Tower of Pisa is known for. Anybody know? Leaning, right? So if you know anything about architecture, foundation is important, right? What you build a, a, a beautiful building on is important. And that if you don't have the correct foundation to support the weight of the building, then it's going to lean, or it's going to crumble, or it's going to fall over. And the ground that the leaning, the Tower of Pisa was built on was built on a mixture of clay and a mixture of sand and a mixture of shells. And so it could not support and sustain the eight-story uh, marble bell tower that was being built upon it. And so, therefore, it leaned. And so what we're learning, even in modern architecture, is that foundations are important. Well, guess what? In spiritual architecture, that being the church of God, Foundations are important as well, not just for modern, modern architecture, but also for spiritual architecture, God's people, God's church. Foundations are very important. And so this is what Paul is going to start off in verse 10, is that I'm like this wise, uh, I'm this wise, skilled builder that has laid this foundation for you. 
And this foundation is something that he's already brought up in verse 18 of chapter 1. Is that I came preaching Christ crucified to you, nothing else. We saw in chapter 2, I didn't come wanting you to know and saying and proclaiming anything else but Christ crucified. And so that is the foundation by which he's saying, this is the foundation that church is built on. is Christ and him crucified. Any other foundation will cause the whole thing to crumble. It will sink. It will fall by the wayside. The foundation of the church is Jesus Christ. It's nothing else. It's not human wisdom. It's not even God's servants. You can't build the church on a servant like Paul or Apollos. You can only build it on Christ and Him crucified. And that the foundation being Jesus Christ and Him crucified then shapes and influences how you build upon the church. If the foundation is Jesus Christ, then it's going to shape what you build with. Warren Wiersbe says it really well. The foundation is the most important part of the building because it determines the size, the shape, and the strength of the superstructure. And Paul's saying this, if it's built on anything else other than Jesus Christ, the church will fall. The church will fall. And Jesus makes this real clear in the Sermon on the Mount, if you remember that. The story that he talked about people, two men who built their house on different, on different foundations, right? One on the rock and the other on what? sand. Listen to what he says. Everyone then who hears the words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine does not and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was its fall is that the church, what Paul's talking about is this, is that it has to be based and founded and established on Jesus Christ, Him crucified, and His words, and the church must then obey those things. That is what the church is founded upon. But Paul's not just concerned about what the church is founded upon, but also what the church is built with. It's not just important what you, the foundation, what you build it upon, it's also important what kind of building materials that you use. Is that, he wants us to pay attention and say, look, it's, it's very important that you build with the correct materials. Look at this. He says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Because there's, Paul's saying this, there's going to be other builders who are going to come and build on top of this foundation of Jesus Christ. There's going to be other servants like Apollos, like Peter, like all these other people. And the, they're going to build on top of these things. But remember, they need to remember be very careful on what kind of material you use. And so he distinguishes the materials here. Look at this in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, with silver, with precious stones, with wood, hay, and straw. So you can see the distinctions in the materials here, right? Is that gold and silver and precious stones, those are things that are imperishable, that won't be burned up with fire. And then there's wood and hay and straw. Those are things that are perishable and will be burnt up, Right? And so Paul wants to make clear is that it matters what kind of materials you use. And so with the argument that he's been making over the course about, hey, human wisdom is, uh, is flawed. Human wisdom will not get you anything. Hey, the servants of God are not to be idolized. They're not to be gods. They're not to be people you build the church upon. He's saying if you build the church upon these people or upon human wisdom or with human wisdom, it will crumble to the ground. It must be founded on Jesus Christ, and the foundation must dictate what kind of materials you build with. The foundation must dictate what kind of materials you build with. 
And we know from the whole Bible that God, God is very, um, let's say, particular about not only the foundation, but the materials by which you use. If you remember the tabernacle and you remember the temple, is that God was pretty particular in how the temple and the tabernacle were to be constructed and built. Am I correct? Am I wrong in that? Everybody with me on that? Is that he took like 10 chapters to determine or to say, hey, the pole should be made of this and the curtain should be made of that and the floor should be made of this and there should be etchings in the walls over here and this should be made of gold and this should be made of silver and this should be made of bronze over there. God is very, very particular and specific about his temple and how it's to be built. And so, just as God is specific about how he, how they built the tabernacle and the temple, is that he is also specific here in how the church is to be built and what the church is to be hung upon. Because in the end, listen here church, is at the end on judgment day, God will assess the work of the leaders, the work of ministers, and what they have built upon and what they have built with. He will assess it. He will examine it. And it will be revealed if it's flawed. I know that some students in here, we have kids, we have uh, teenagers who are going through the best time in their life, that being final exams. Kids, there's so much fun. There's so much joy to be had in final exams. You get to take a test to show us what you've learned. I mean, isn't it awesome, right? Well, final exams, they reveal a lot of things. Well, at least they did for me. Um, they revealed if you studied. Um, they revealed if you did your homework. They revealed if you took notes. They revealed if you listened to lectures. And they also revealed if you showed up to class or not, which I know none of you any had any of those problems or you're probably perf- you know, A-straight students and perfect attendance, right? But it reveals all those things, whether you were actually attentive in the class and you took notes. Final exams reveal those things, right? They reveal what you have learned. And on Judgment Day, what God is going to do is disclose and manifest whether these ministers have built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and that the materials that they have used to build upon the gospel of Jesus Christ were the things of Jesus Christ. He will show and reveal and manifest and disclose that. And it will show, if it survives, that means it was built with the right things. And if it doesn't, then that means it will all be burned up and useless. But what this doesn't mean is that these people who build upon the foundation with insufficient materials, it doesn't mean they're losing their salvation. If you look at this last verse, verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So the final inspection doesn't determine one's salvation. It does determine their final reward. And what we'll learn in Chapter 4, verse 5, is that that final reward is God's commendation, his stamp of approval for your work and your labor. We'll also see that in 1 Corinthians 15, is that he will give his stamp of approval of, well done, my good and faithful, what? Servant. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have built on the correct thing, and you have built with the correct materials. And so, they won't lose their salvation, but they will... As some commentators said, they will be barely saved by the skin of their teeth, snatched from the fire, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so this is the importance of what Paul is saying, is that the church must be built on one foundation, and that the foundation being Jesus Christ, and because the foundation is Jesus Christ, then, then, that will determine how and what you build with. And ultimately, at the end of the day, God will judge and assess us 
on what we have built upon and what we have built with here on Crosspoint. Let's, let's kind of let's digest this for a second and see how that applies to us. It's first, I think we need to remember is that here at Crosspoint Baptist Church, I, it may sound like cliche, it may sound like empty phrases, but Crosspoint Baptist Church must be built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. If we divert anywhere different than that, if we are wanting to be relevant to the world and take on their, uh, and compromise and take on their views and take on things so that we can be more relevant and more, uh, you know, applicable to them and, and, and reach them, if we say, let's change the foundation and let's, let's reconstruct this whole thing, then guess what? It may last for a little bit, but on the last day, it will all be burned up and it will crumble to the ground. The foundation must be Jesus Christ and we must not change from that. And that because the foundation is Jesus Christ, the foundation must determine us, Crosspoint, how we build upon that foundation. It must dictate how we build upon that, how we minister, how we outreach, what we do here at Crosspoint. Is that Jesus is our foundation should influence how we build on that foundation. What we build with indicates what we are building upon. There's a, uh, there's a pretty common phrase in ministry that I find helpful. It says, what you win people with is what you win them to. What you win people with is what you win them to. I'll give you an example of this. This is when I was a student, a youth, in a youth group. And uh, I remember the youth minister made a big, you know, ploy, made a big marketing bill. Look, whoever brings the most friends next week gets an iPod. You get an iPod. And so guess what? We had kids out the works I had never seen before. I didn't bring any friends because I didn't have many. So we had all these kids that, man, it was a packed room. And so the, the person who brought the most friends, they got the iPod, and, and then uh, all the kids have fun. And then guess what? Next week, you know what happened next week? Nobody showed up. You know why? No iPod. What you win people with, you win people to. You win people with an iPod, you win them to an iPod. You win them with a car, you win them to a car. You win them with Christ, you win them to Christ. But Christ is better than any iPod or any car. Crosspoint, if our foundation is Jesus Christ, then our desire should be to build upon that foundation with the materials that indicate that we are founded upon Jesus Christ. What we win people with is what we're going to win them to. And we want to win them with the Savior, Jesus. What we win them people with is what we win them to. And ultimately, at the end of the day, what should... what? What should be directing this is this, is we know that we all have to stand before God on Judgment Day and give an account for all that we have done. And I, as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, as a pastor, as a preacher, I want to say that I built upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and that the foundation dictated what kind of materials I built with, not ones that will be burnt up at the end of days. So is Judgment Day dictating? It's not to cause you fear. It's not to cause you terror. It's to cause you reverence. It's to cause you a holy respect for God. And how we build upon the foundation of Jesus. Remember that cross point. That on the last day we will be assessed by what we build upon and what we build with. Is the gospel of Jesus Christ our foundation? And is how we're building cross point dictated by that foundation? Jesus Christ. And so Paul has already alluded to the temple as we talked about. You know with the gold, silver and the precious stones. But Paul wants to be, be even more explicit about the temple. And that he calls the church in Corinth, God's very temple. And so look at this. Point number two. 
The church is God's temple. As his temple, as God's temple, God cares about his church's holiness. I don't know, anybody ever had amnesia before? Maybe you hit your head and you, you know, short-term memory. I, uh, I sometimes worry about amnesia and worry if I've hit my head. I know some of you have worried if I hit my head. Um, but, you know, sometimes I go, I go to the fridge and I'm like, what did I come here for? You know, ever had that situation where you drive somewhere and you're like, I don't know where I'm going. Like, wh- what am I in the car for? Or, or this happens so many times. Uh, I'll drive from one location to another, and I'll try and remember how I got there. And I'm like, I don't remember. Like, I guess I was in a daze or a confusion. Like, I, I don't remember. But the fridge thing happens. Uh, I don't know if that's you. You get to the fridge, you're like, I came here for something. I don't remember what I came here for. I, I just don't know why. Amnesia. You just you forget things. You forget, you forget kind of your own identity. You forget what you're doing. You forget all those things. And I think what's going on in Corinth is something like an amnesia, but a spiritual amnesia, is that they have forgotten who they are. And Paul is trying to remind them, do you not know who you are in Jesus Christ? And that's what he's wanting to get across in verses 16 and 17. And that's why he says the first four words of verse 16, do you not know? Do you not know? And basically, it's it's an indictment to say, How you're living does not match in who you are in Jesus Christ, your position in Jesus Christ, your status in Jesus Christ, that being God's temple. Your your lifestyle does not match those things. And so he says, don't you get it? Don't you know who you are in Jesus Christ, what God has done for you in Christ Jesus by his spirit to make you? Do you not get that? Because he says here, you are God's temple. And that is a plural you. That's not singular you. So it's not saying you individually are God's temple. Paul will actually say that in 1 Corinthians 6. You individually, each individual of you who has the Spirit of God in you are God's temple. Here's what he's saying is this. Together, God's church, the church in Corinth, you are God's temple. Cross point, you are God's temple. That's the message. You are God's temple. And you are God's temple for a reason. And there's a reason why that's so significant. You might think, well, what's, what's the big deal in being called God's temple? Well, as you know, it's the temple in the Old Testament and in the New is a pretty big deal, right? It's a big deal because the temple is the place where God's presence dwells with his people. And so you can see the prominence and you can see the exaltation of that title. You are the place where God dwells. You are that place. And so they are God's temple because they have God's spirit dwelling in them. He said, look, Crosspoint, let's just be very clear. Th- these walls and this roof and these doors, this is not a temple. This is not a temple. This is a building. This is where the temple gathers on Sunday morning. Because the temple is God's people with God's presence. And so this is a building. A temple is not dictated by four, four walls and a roof. It's dictated by the people who are there with God's Spirit dwelling in them. You are God's temple. And just as God took His temple seriously in the Old Testament, He takes His temple seriously now in His people. Right? And so Paul warns, look what he warns. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. Now, he's not talking about the ministers who have built with insufficient insufficient materials. No, he's talking about particularly people who are actually trying to divide and separate the church. And this is what we've already talked about. 
starting in verse 1. The big problem in Corinth is that they are creating divisions and rivalries around human wisdom, around servants. And so he's saying, these people are the problem. They are trying to tear apart the church. They are trying to separate the church through, through rivalries, divisions, separations. And that there is a big deal is that those who attempt and try to destroy God's temple, God will what? God will destroy them. He takes it very seriously for those who try to divide and wreck his church. It's a very, very dangerous position to put yourself in when you are trying to divide and separate God's temple, God's people. I was reading this past week, I guess planning to get ready for vacation. Um, I was reading an article about what if I were to come in between a, a mama grizzly bear and her cubs. I felt like that was a good piece of information that I needed to know. And so, you know, I gave all the things, you know, speak, speak softly to it. Don't really understand that. Why would you want to speak softly to a grizzly bear as if it speaks your language? Um, you know one part, this is a rant for a second. One part it said, I felt really bad. If you're with two people uh, and the grizzly bear gets your friend, it said step back 100 yards, watch until the grizzly bear leaves, and then apply first aid. I'm like... What a terrible friend. Okay, I'm going to go by what the article said. I'm going to back up 100 yards, watch as my friend is mauled to death, and then I'll get the first aid kit out. But I'm, that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so I'm going to follow the, those parameters. And so, uh, but it did say if you get in between a mama bear and her cubs and you appear as a threat to them, it is a very dangerous position to be in. Uh, she will not let up if she feels like you are threatening her cubs. And just as it's a dangerous position to put yourself in between a mama bear and her cubs, it is a dangerous position to put yourself in when you're trying to tear apart and detach and separate God's temple, God's church. Those who try and destroy God's church, God says he will destroy them. It is a warning that we cannot allow divisions or rivalries exist in God's temple. But why such a harsh punishment those seeking to tear down God's temple? Well, it's because this. It's because God's temple is sacred. It's holy. It's set apart. As you know, in the Old Testament, in the temple, you couldn't just walk up in there flippantly like it was a museum, right? No. You would die because it was holy, because the God who dwelt there was holy and is holy. And so that's why it's a harsh judgment for those who try and destroy the church and separate it. Because ultimately, the temple, the temple of God, is to be a reflection of himself. God's temple is holy. The place that they built is holy because the God who dwells there is holy, is set apart, is sacred. He is holy, therefore, his people, his temple should be holy. Now, here's the logic of, of Paul's argument here in verses 16 and 17. Follow me where, here's the logic. God is holy. God's temple is holy. You are that temple. Therefore, you should be what? You see the logic there that he's trying to get out? Is that because God has made us his temple and his temple is a reflection of him, then his temple should be holy and his temple is the people of God, the church of God. Therefore, we should be holy. We should be reflecting the God that we worship in our holiness. Gordon Fee says it really well. God is holy. His temple is therefore also holy, set apart for his purposes. And as his temple, you are by implication also to be holy. Peter said it as well in 1 Peter 1, 
But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am a holy. Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so, here's a couple of pieces of application for us, Cross Point. Is that we can so dismiss what's going on here when we gather together for Sunday morning worship and corporate worship. We can dismiss it as it's, as it's uh, no big deal to not be here, as it's, uh, it's, it's, it doesn't really matter, I can get it somewhere else, so you know what, like I, I can just, I can miss this here and there, it's not a big deal, you know, it's uh, uh, being with the people of God, yeah, it's good, uh, but I, you know, I don't have to have it and things like that. W- when we talk like this, we dismiss what is actually going on and what's actually happening here when we get together, when we get to gather together for fellowship, for worship, for teaching, for instruction, for all these things, is that we forget that together, gathered, because the Holy Spirit dwells in us, we are God's temple. We are God's temple. This building is not God's temple, but we, when we get together, are God's temple. And this is where the presence of God dwells in each of us and together as we gather together. And so that's why division is such a big deal in God's church. Division in God's church, in the body of Christ, disrupts personal holiness and corporate holiness. And both those things are what God desires from us and requires of us. Let me say that one more time. Is that division in the temple, in God's church, in God's people, it disrupts personal holiness, our individual holiness, as we seek to strive for holiness, and corporate holiness together. And so... That's where our mind goes, is that instead of being focused on being holy as God is holy, on being perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, on seeking and pursuing godliness, we're more, we're more, uh, uh, we have a greater tendency to be concerned about what's the latest gossip, what's going on in the church, what, who's, who, who's at odds with one another, who's fighting against each other, who, who's, got, who's got it out for one another, is that our minds get diverted away from personal holiness and corporate holiness, because that's what we should all be pursuing. Personally, you are pursuing holiness, set-apartness for Christ. And personally, corporately, we are pursuing holiness. But division diverts our attention away from that. And remember, this is another warning to us, Crosspoint. Division is not a light thing to God. Be warned now. Division is not a light thing to God. God doesn't take damaging and dividing His temple. He He doesn't take that. It is precious to Him. And so, in light of that, we should be, we should be as a corporate body reflecting the God we worship. If our God is holy and we say He is the God that we worship, then we should be holy corporately and individually. So that means put away all division. Put away all strife. Put away all jealousy. Reconcile. So that corporately together and individually we can together we can reflect the holy God that we serve. And so, in Christ, with the dwelling of the Holy Spirit in us, the church is God's temple. It is God's temple. And that with that special status comes special benefits. And that's what Paul wants to get at in the last couple of verses in 18 through 23. Is that the church is great possession. The church is great possession. Um as um, as I've already mentioned, vaca- we're about to leave for vacation, and I'm not a very good vacation packer. I just pack everything that I own, which is not a lot. 
But um, I just pack everything on because it's so much easier for me. Rather than organize things, just all the clothes that I own go in one, one suitcase. All, everything that I own. And I don't have to figure out what I need because it's usually there. And, uh, but you know what's always funny? You get on vacation and you realize, I left that. And usually for me, it's like a toothbrush. I'm just like, well, I just won't brush my teeth all week. Uh, or it's, uh, you know, soap or something like that. I just won't take a bath all week. Or, you know, uh, underwear. I just don't, you know, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. <laughs> just joking. Just joking. But uh, you, you always, I feel like always on vacation, you always realize what you're lacking and what you need for some reason. There's always the kind of the, 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 the spotlight. Oh, man, I need that. Oh, man, I'm missing that. Oh, man, I'm lacking that and things like that. Well, here, here's the point of what Paul wants to get to is this. is that in Christ Jesus and because of Christ Jesus, the church is God's temple is in need of nothing. The church has everything they need in Christ because of Christ. Make sure you get those prepositions right. The church has everything we need in Christ because of Christ. And so Paul begins this idea by saying, let no one deceive himself. Paul warns of self-deception, which is a big deal. We always think when we read the Bible, uh, particularly the pastoral epistles, that all the, all the enemies are coming from the outside and trying to infiltrate the church. But remember this, and Paul gets this in Acts 20 as well, is that, remember this, is that there is even a danger, not just from the outside, but from the inside of us, is that we can self-deceive, deceive our own selves of things that are not true. And it doesn't happen like the flip of a switch, like a light switch, is that over the course of time, we, be, we begin to give in to lies and, and, and fallacious thoughts and ideas that are not of God and His Word and of the Gospel, and it erodes our minds and our hearts where we begin to believe them, and we have deceived ourselves. And so, Paul is warning, be careful that you not be self-deceived. And here's what he's warning them not to be self-deceived of. The worldly wisdom. It's enticing, I know. The world that's projecting, hey, our wisdom is better than your wisdom. You know, the wisdom that you say your God has and all these things. Our, our wisdom's better. We know, we know what, what's going on here. He's saying, do not be deceived to think that the world has it all together and that they know what they're talking about. The gospel will not make sense to them. Because ultimately, the world's wisdom is foolish in God's eyes. And so Paul's been talking about this over the course of two chapters, about the world's wisdom and how God's wisdom is better and far more significant than the world's wisdom. And so, in God's plan and God's orchestration, if you really want to be wise, you must become a what? A fool. You must become a fool. To be wise, you must become a fool. And this is the reversal nature of the gospel. That it asks you to be something that doesn't make sense. If you think about it, if you want to be a leader, you must be a servant. If you want to live, you must what? Die. If you want to be strong, you must be weak. The gospel is all about reversals. It's all about being upside down. And it doesn't make sense to the world. What are you talking about? That doesn't make sense. It's not going to make sense without the Spirit of God dwelling in them gospel asks us for reversals as jesus said in matthew 16 25 for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it to be wise you must become a fool you must say all the world's wisdom does nothing for me 
And so the way that Paul explains this, the way that Paul reiterates and kind of emphasizes his message is that he quotes from Job 5.13 and he quotes from Psalm 94.11 to show this, is that worldly wisdom is bankrupt. It's bankrupt. It's hollow. It will leave you empty and hopeless in this world if you give yourself over into the world's wisdom. It's bankrupt. God sees straight through it. And those people who give themselves over to worldly wisdom, he'll catch them in the act. He catches the wise and their craftiness. The world's wisdom is futile and fleeting to him. And so Paul says, in light of that, in light of the futility of worldly wisdom, what the world thinks they know, in light of God, weird section of, section of Scripture, but he's making a counterargument to this ministerial campaigning that's been going on. I belong to Paul. So I belong to Paul. He says this, Paul doesn't own you. Cephas doesn't own you. Apollos doesn't own you. They are yours. They are yours. They are servants of God for your good and for your benefit. They are yours. They don't own you. They don't possess you. You actually possess them. They are yours for your good. That's what ministers and servants and laborers are for. For the good and edification of God's people. They don't own you. They are yours. Therefore, do not boast and divide yourselves among them. As though they're your political candidate. And so, Paul's making this point. They are yours. Because they are Christ. Is that Christ owns you and Christ owns them and Christ owns everything. And because Christ owns you and you are in Christ, then all things are yours. All things. Paul, Apollos, and you. Me. Crosspoint. We are the possession of Christ. Christ has bought us, purchased us with his own blood, and now we are his precious possession. We are the Lord's, as Paul says in Romans 14, 8. We are the people for his own possession, as 1 Peter 2.9 says. We are his. Because Christ owns everything, and because we are in Christ, all is ours. You lack nothing in Christ Jesus. Because of Christ. God owns you, and in Christ, he has given you all things. 2 Peter 1.3-5, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness. And what Paul says in his crescendo in Romans 8, listen to this very carefully, church. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Everything is yours. In Christ Jesus, because of Christ Jesus. And so, cross point, listen to this very carefully. Be on guard against self-deception. Be on guard. If you think you are wise, you are a fool. If you think you are strong, you are weak. Remind yourselves, cross point, that we can be easily deceived by sin and by the world's wisdom. Don't give into it. Fight against it daily by God's word and prayer. Be on guard against self-deception because it's serious and subtle. And also, remember this. If the world thinks that your ways are upside down, that's because you're doing it right. Because you're doing it right. Because the gospel is about reversal. Is that it looks upside down to the world. It doesn't look like it's the right way. It doesn't look logical. It doesn't look reasonable. And that is the way that the gospel is about. It's about a person, the God-man, dying on the cross on our behalf to give us life in his death. That is upside down to the world. That is upside down. And so that is the right way. 
let me let me give you a piece of advice that is that this has been brought out to me from this text about reminding ourselves that all things are yours, church body. All, all these things are yours. All these Paul, Apollos, that's what he's trying to tell the Corinth. All these things are yours. Is remember this. Is that you don't have to subscribe exclusively to any one spiritual resource. I, if you say, I can only listen to Wes's preaching. I, I can't listen to any podcast. I can't listen to any other sermons. Some of you are like, yeah, that would be terrible. <laughs> right? I, I would think that was terrible. Uh, is that you don't have to subscribe exclusively to one person. Is that if they are founded on the gospel of Jesus Christ and they are building on that with gospel materials, guess what? All the resources in the world are yours for your benefit and for your good. So listen to sermons, listen to podcasts, read books. They're ours if they are founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ and they are proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there are great resources out there, preachers, podcasts, books, sermons. It's for our good. They are ours. and We don't have to subscribe exclusively to one. But I do think it says something about Corinth and about us when we do things like that. We have a tendency and an inclination to make idols out of servants. And I think we've already said this before in the book of 1 Corinthians. Is that just as they were saying, I follow Apollos, I follow Paul, I follow Cephas. Is you see our tendency to make idols out of servants? You, are, you see our tendency to make gods out of these laborers? That's, that's bad. Because God gives these laborers, these servants to Corinth and to us to be gifts to us for our building up. Not so that we would idolize them, not so that we would make them saviors, because they're just servants. And that is the tendency, that is the inclination of all sinful humanity. We take God's good gifts, and we make them gods themselves. I'll give you an example. One of my favorite examples in Scripture is this. Numbers 21. Remember, uh, God sent the snakes to bite Israel. Remember in the, in the wilderness? And uh, God told Moses, if you make a bronze serpent, and you hold it up and people look at it, then, uh, then people will be saved, right? And that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Now, you know what's so funny is many, many years later in 2 Kings 18, guess what? They still got that bronze serpent. And you know what they're doing with it? They're worshiping it. They're making sacrifices at the bronze serpent. They're making offerings at the bronze serpent. They've even given it a God name. Do you see how one thing was given as a gift by God to his people for their good, now has become an idol and a god to them. God's good gifts can easily become idols to us, even laborers, even servants. So let us be very careful that when we are given good gifts by God, it shouldn't direct us to praise the gift, but to praise the giver of the gift. Let's pray. Lastly this. God is not a stingy God. He's not a hoarder. He's not withholding, but everything that you do have in Christ Jesus is way better than all those things combined. Focus on what we have and possess in Christ Jesus because of Christ Jesus. And in that, you don't lack anything. You don't lack anything in Christ Jesus. Because God has provided for our greatest need in Christ. He has given up his own son to save rebellious sinners like us is that this morning you may think and have been convinced by what you need in this world, that you need this object, that you need this home, that you need this car, that you need this job, that you need this, you need that. Crosspoint, all of us, 
our greatest need in this life is to be reconciled to a holy God. That we have sinned against. That God has created us to worship and love and obey Him. And He has given us good gifts to direct our minds and our hearts back to that. But rather than worship Him, we have worshipped the things that He has given us, the good gifts. And because of that, we have committed idolatry and we have sinned against God. And so He must punish sin. But praise God, He did not spare even His own Son, but gave Him up for us. He died, was raised from the dead, and has ascended on high and will return again. And for all those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they can be saved. They can find all that they need in Christ Jesus. And that for all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and turn away from their sins, you will have everything that you need. You will not lack a thing. When you follow Jesus Christ, you will not look back and say, look what I had. Look what I had back there. That's what the Israelites said. They walked out of Egypt. God had just saved them miraculously. And you know what they said? Oh, the fish and cucumbers were so much better back there in Egypt. Are you kidding me? You're talking about the fish and cucumbers and God just split the sea and killed all your enemies? You will not look back. Because once you have experienced and tasted the goodness of Christ, you will know that you have everything in Him. That is what you can have this morning. For those watching online, for those in here, this morning, you can have everything that you need in Christ Jesus. And I would love to speak with you more about that. I want to invite the band back up. I want to say just two last things. Is that if you would like to speak about Jesus Christ, I would love to speak with you about him after the service. If you do not have a Bible, God's Word, we love God's Word here at Cross Point. And so you can grab the Bible underneath your chair. That is a gift from us to you because we believe that this is one of God's greatest gifts, his Word. And that we want to build the house upon the rock, that being Jesus' words. And so we would love for you to take this copy of God's Word with you this morning. Let me pray for us. And then we will sing to this God who has saved us and who has given us everything in Christ Jesus. God, we love you. We thank you for your, your perfect kindness and love to us. How daily you, you forbear with us in our sin, in our depravity, in our lostness, God. And yet you have called us, you have brought us in as sons and daughters and given us everything in Christ Jesus. We lack no thing in Christ. God, I pray that we would sing in light of that, that we would pray in light of that, that we would worship in light of that, that we would evangelize and do missions in light of that, that everything would pour forth out of we have all that we need in Christ. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your kindness, Lord, today. It's in his name we pray.